Thanks to the people who have started leaving me text messages with the new feature. But remember, it's a one-way medium, so please include your email address or any other way of getting back in touch with you. Or, if you'd like to leave me voicemail, just go to the website at bookkeepermensch.com, scroll down a little bit on the main page, and leave me voicemail. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Paul Rosenblum is a bookkeeper, not an accountant or a CPA. Although the information in this podcast comes from professionals, it's meant to give you enough knowledge about these subjects to have a meaningful dialogue with your tax preparer about bookkeeping and taxes. Welcome once again to the podcast, and thanks so much for tuning in. As always, I'm Paul Rosenblum. Today's episode is getting back to basics about the task of bookkeeping. Today, let's discuss the five most common errors made in computerized bookkeeping in general, not just QuickBooks Online or QuickBooks Desktop. But before we get to the topic at hand, here's a quick general recent history of bookkeeping and accounting. The most radical change in bookkeeping in the last 50 years or so has been going from manual handwritten general ledger bookkeeping, which took at the very least an entire large kitchen table with a paper general ledger being spread out on it. Now bookkeeping is done on a computer screen or a tablet or even a phone when you're on a train going to a friend's house or on a beach as long as you have internet access. My love-hate relationship with Intuit the past 27 years started with the idea that they have always marketed their product as easy to install for the desktop and easy to use, and their key phrase, you'll be up and running in 15 minutes flat. Of course, they wanted to sell software, which they did by the boatloads in the United States. They are not nearly as popular in any other country around the world as they are in the U.S., They marketed their software to business owners as well as to the general public. Administrative assistants and receptionists started using QuickBooks desktop software to enter bills for their bosses or departments to keep track of expenses for the company. Many years ago, one of my clients at a healthcare facility started using QuickBooks in one of the departments strictly for expenses to be reported and then paid by the general accounts payable department. Business owners were convinced that it was easy for anyone to learn and use. I can attest to the fact that this isn't the fact. This is why I have taught QuickBooks for 27 plus years and the first several years to very filled up classrooms of 25 to 30 people per class. Show me the money. It also caught on with accountants, tax preparers, and people who were just starting in bookkeeping, many of them who had no formal training in bookkeeping or accounting. This is why in my years of teaching QuickBooks, I not only taught the software, but also have always taught some accounting basics in every class that I've ever taught. QuickBooks caught on quickly, and it was, and still is, 
the number one bookkeeping software in the United States. However, manual bookkeeping is one thing. One always used a non-erasable pen to enter transactions, and if there was a wrong transaction entered, an additional transaction was made to correct the previous one, called a reversal entry or a general journal entry. But with computerized accounting, one of the things that was introduced was the delete button on the computer keyboard. Once a transaction was entered, there was an easy way of of deleting it now or years from now if it was an incorrect entry. The rules changed. Then QuickBooks Desktop introduced downloading the bank and credit card transactions from the banks directly. That changed the rules again. When QuickBooks Online was introduced, it was designed from the bottom up to download from everywhere, banks, credit cards, and even third-party credit card merchants like Stripe and Square. I interviewed a prospective client several years ago, and he showed me how everything, every transaction from all sources was being downloaded into QuickBooks Desktop. He was so proud of that fact, and he was so proud of the fact that he himself set it up. There was very little that the bookkeeper needed to do, according to him, in theory. He said that he would expect his books to be done by the fourth of every month. I asked him what he needed me for. I don't remember his answer because I had already written off taking him on as a client. Now that I've ranted about computerized bookkeeping, here are five in no particular order most common errors made in computerized accounting today. Number one, downloading bank and credit card transactions and getting double entries as well as not handling deposits correctly. When you download bank transactions for a particular month, you are downloading all deposits and all withdrawals, including payments to credit cards. When a deposit is downloaded, in general, most banks don't supply the graphic of the deposit slip or the graphics of the checks that were part of that deposit. However, I've seen Wells Fargo starting to do that in their downloads recently. I've seen firsthand that most bookkeepers assume that deposits are sales or income for the company. No, 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 no. Not true. If, for an example, there is an IRS income tax refund or money that came in as a loan from an individual or a bank that should not be considered as income, in both of these examples, those transactions would be on the balance sheet unless it was a state corporation tax or a payroll tax refund. For an incoming loan, that transaction is considered to be a liability of your company. It's very easy to fall into a trap when downloading transactions and forget that and just accept all downloaded deposits as income rather than logging into the bank's website and looking at every deposit. And yes, I practice what I preach. I log into the bank's website every time I'm working on a set of books and make sure that the deposits made are indeed 
income or revenue and not a refund of any kind and either print all the checks that were part of the deposits or write down the deposit information on the printed out bank statement that I'm working on at the time. When you download bank transactions, you're downloading credit card payments as mentioned earlier. However, when you download the credit card transactions, you are downloading the credit card payment for a second time, this time from the viewpoint of the credit card bank. That is, it's reporting that transaction as a credit card credit against your account, and the bank is reporting it as a withdrawal from your bank account also as a credit card payment. In theory, those two payments from two different sources should match up automatically and combine into one transaction to avoid a double entry. But in reality, that works no more than around 70%. In many sets of books that I inherit from other bookkeepers or a business owner doing bookkeeping themselves, the QuickBooks balance in the books on the credit card is sometimes tens of thousands of dollars off from the real balance on the credit card. And it usually is a negative balance. This is because every payment to the credit card and every credit card credit that represents payments are both entered rather than combining them and entering one transaction. There are tax preparers who would ignore this and just go by the profit and loss, but that doesn't prove that the profit and loss is accurate. Computerized accounting introduces new and interesting bookkeeping and accounting problems that never existed before. Sometimes I call it the price of technology. We all just have to deal with it. Number two, the chart of accounts, also known as categories. The categories used on a tax form are generally somewhat different from a typical bookkeeping category or chart of accounts list. As a new QuickBooks user, for an example, most people just follow the names of the accounts that are provided to you by the software manufacturer. In many cases, they are simply not correct. Meals and Entertainment, for an example, had changed in 2018 with the new tax law, not including entertainment as a tax deduction any longer. But the category is still called Meals and Entertainment in most computerized accounting software. I've had conversations with high-end people at the makers of QuickBooks, for one, explaining this to them, and their retort to me is, We provide the software. It's up to you to tweak the names of the skeleton chart of accounts that we give you as part of the setup of the company file. On a prior episode of this podcast, I talked extensively about the chart of accounts. There is no 100% right here, but I have my way of wording the chart of accounts categories in a particular way that makes sense for my client and at the same time is workable for the tax preparer to convert the books to a clean tax return. The moral here is before you begin, tweak the names of the chart of accounts categories as to what makes sense for you and your business. Not all businesses 
have exactly the same categories. Number three, reconciliations. I've lost count on the number of books that I have inherited from bookkeepers actually charging for their services, some more than I do, who have months, if not years, of bank accounts, credit card accounts, and credit line accounts not reconciled. A reconciliation simply means matching up each entry in your accounting system to each entry on a statement together with the beginning balance for that statement and the ending balance as of the ending date of that statement. Each line item on the statement must match with the data entry or downloaded entry in the software. Every account must be reconciled at the end of every month or to the ending balance on that statement if the statement ends in the middle of the month. If not, your balance sheet and your profit and loss report could be inaccurate. Reconciliations also prove that every downloaded transaction is the same transaction for the same amount of money that shows up on the paper or PDF statement. I've seen where a paper statement more than once had a check for one example that was deducted for $412.72, but the downloaded transaction came in at $412.27. Hence, the reconciliation was off by 45 cents. Of course, I had to find it, and I did. If not, I wouldn't be able to sleep that night. Sorry, it's a curse, guys. So the servers at the bank that create paper statements aren't necessarily the same servers that create the downloaded transactions into your accounting system. Number four, entering all fields, or at least most fields available, on each and every transaction. When I enter a check, I always put the payer's name, the date, and the amount of that transaction if I'm entering that transaction manually. In many cases, I will also enter a short memo or a description of that transaction if it's deemed necessary. If I'm downloading that same transaction, I know it's so easy to not fill in the fields, but please, please fill them in anyway. You never know at the end of the year what kind of reports you'll need And the more information that you have entered into each transaction, the better. If you are entering a bank transaction that isn't a check, such as a debit card or an electronic fund transfer that we call EFTs, use the check number or the reference number field as the word debit or capital E, capital F, capital T. The word wire should be used for a domestic or a foreign outgoing wire transaction. This way, you can report on only the wire transactions or only the debit card transactions at the end of the month or the end of the year. It's so tempting not to enter the vendor in the appropriate field since the vendor's name is downloaded into the description field of the transaction, but leaving the vendor field blank will take away several vendor reports that you might need to use later. In other words, 
Don't think that just because you're downloading transactions that there's no typing or thinking involved. To do this accurately, good bookkeepers have to have a unique kind of focus and concentration. And if a bookkeeper has a form of Asperger's syndrome, for an example, now on the autism spectrum, it's usually a plus. Uh, you can look that up later or pause this episode now. If you haven't gathered by now, I don't like shortcuts. And number five, last but not least, be very careful what you delete. By default, many computerized software systems are what I call an open database. That is, once a transaction is entered, even if it's proven and reconciled, it can still get deleted. And I don't know why they do that. In the episodes on audits, I talk about the importance of the books matching the tax return. I have had clients of mine going through their accounts receivable, that is, money owed to them by their clients and customers, realizing that a two-year-old invoice to a customer will never get paid, and they just go ahead and delete that invoice from the system. If the taxes are done in accrual, and the books match the tax return before the deletion, guess what? Now they don't. So one of the first things that I do is go into preferences or settings, different places in all software, and create a password that only I know or your bookkeeper knows so that nobody can go back and delete an entry once taxes have been filed and the accountant's year-end adjustments have been made in the books, and the books match the tax return. In essence, you are locking the database. I've had clients who've tried to delete an old invoice and called me and asked me for the password. My answer is, over my dead body. I say that jokingly, and then I explain that the transaction can't be deleted since you are on an accrual basis, and I'll fix it with a reversal accounting entry after you let me know exactly what that transaction is. If your business is on a cash basis, uncollected invoices are not counted in a tax return, so that's not a terrible thing to delete an old invoice. However, personally, I like to keep the invoice and just make it a zero value. I have had a few struggling clients who have told me that they really can't afford my services any longer, even though they know they are getting a very low ball price and wanted to do their own bookkeeping. They still would like me to go over their books at the end of the year and make sure that their books are right. Every time this happens, it takes me two to three hours or more to correct mistakes and make their books up to my standard. And of course, It's three hours of my time that they have to pay for. I feel bad charging them, but hey, I have rent to pay too. Many people think bookkeeping is easy. You enter numbers, put them in categories, submit it to the tax professional, and voila, your taxes are filed. It's like magic. No, no, no. The truth is, it's not easy to do it right. Every business owner 
has their own priorities and philosophies with bookkeepers and bookkeeping. Number one, bookkeeping is a necessary evil that has to be done. Hence, the business owner wants to keep the price way down to the absolute minimum. Two, business owners who want to make money and run their businesses. They don't want to be part of the bookkeeping procedures at all. I guess the bookkeeper has to be a mind reader to know everything that was purchased and what it means for the business. I don't take on clients with those two ideas in their heads. Number three, some business owners do understand the importance of clean, accurate books using everything that bookkeeping software has to offer. They want to be available to the bookkeeper and be a small part of the process, including being available to track down W-9 forms for 1099 purposes and to maybe keep them out of an audit situation. And that leads me to the next episode, which we'll be talking about bookkeepers building relationships with their clients. So if you haven't done so already, please subscribe and join me for that. As I've mentioned, I will start interviewing business owners sometime in August, so stay tuned for that as well. And please, if you're on Facebook, check out the Facebook group page. And if you have any comments about this episode or any others, please email me at bookkeepermensch at gmail.com. That's bookkeeper, M-E-N-S-C-H, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, have a great rest of your day. I'm Paul Rosenblum.